Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you. This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com slash breadbox. Good day and welcome to Beneath the Surface. Glad you could join us today. Paul Morano here with my guest, Mr. John Tudoris. John, welcome. Good to be here. Ready to go beneath the surface? So ready. This is a show. This is uh, number five in a series that we started called The Creed Beneath the Surface. Our fifth episode uh, focuses on one Lord Jesus Christ. So we've already gotten through. The first show was I Believe, and we spoke about the uh, distinction between belief uh, our faith and reason and science and how it all uh, points to the one truth, which is God himself. Our second show, we, we went to the next line of the creed, which was in one God. And we talked about monotheism versus polytheism and pantheism and the distinctions between how Jews, Muslims, and Christians understand monotheism and the one true God. Then after we believe in one God, we went in our third show to the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And that's exactly what we talked about, the first person of God and uh, what it means to be creator, why he created, what he created, etc. Which brought us to our last show on Beneath the Surface, the Creed, or the Creed Beneath the Surface, that is, uh, which was episode number four in the series. And that focused on of all that is seen, of all that is visible and invisible. And so we talked about some of the visible creation of, of the first person of God, the Father. But the lion's share of last show was on the invisible part of creation. And so we talked a lot about angels and demons, heaven and hell, as well as purgatory. So you can see all those shows either on our YouTube channel, Beneath the Surface with Paul Morano. You can go there. Or, more simply, go to palmerano.com and you can find them there too. But that brings us to our present episode, which is number five in the series. We're focusing on the next line in the creed. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. And so, John, you ready to delve? So delving ready. And now that I've used that term twice, I think yes. it could be a real world. Real world. A real word. <laughs> Yes, I, I like, I really, I, I'm the kind of person who loves when people create their own words, especially when they make sense. Oh, yes, yes. I'm, the the gobbledygook yeah, that I sometimes I'm not, say, I, I'm not, that probably wouldn't uh, fall in that category. All right. All right. So what I'd like to do in this show is since we, we have just gone from the first person of God to the second person of God, beginning in this show, we will look at uh, those three words that we're focusing on, and that'll take us the lion's share of this show. And that is, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. Those three words, Lord Jesus and Christ. 
So why don't we why don't we start with the first word? We believe in one Lord. What do what do we mean by that? The word Lord. Sure, sure. And just a quick precursor on that, and this ties back to the uh, the one God is that, and this is almost like a reminder in the creed uh, that this is actually the same one God. So this one Lord who is Jesus Christ. Oh, I see what you mean. So yes. at the beginning of the creed, we said we believe in one God. And now a few lines later, we're saying, and we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. This Lord is the same being as that one God, is what you're saying. That is correct. That even, is correct. Even though we have, at least in the creed, entered uh, into the second person of God. That's correct. Okay. So a nice reminder for those who are reciting the creed and paying attention to each little word, which uh, all of them are, none of them are wasted. No, no, you're absolutely right. Yes. So the word Lord, um, what do, what do we mean generally? What, what, what has the English language really meant by the word Lord uh, through the decades, maybe even through the centuries? And what do we mean by it in our religious sense in the creed or generally when we say our Lord, what does that mean? Well, in a, in a temporal sense, certainly over the centuries, we would associate Lord with uh, something of a ruler, okay, um, yeah. or even an honorific regal title, uh, the Lord and the Lady at your service, uh, some, something of a, of a higher nature, or of a higher higher degree of honor. How about the Lord of the house? Anything to the, do with the, that? The Lord of the house, the, the mm -hmm. one who rules the house. So when we say Lord, we're saying ruler or, or master or someone who has authority over me yes one a ruler master one who has authority uh, but also one who is deserving of respect okay. according to their station yeah so so the lord and the lady of the house are the ones that uh, deserve respect yes okay yeah um all right so so would you say that in a religious sense when we when we use it for god we mean the same thing well, it's certainly analogous. Thomas Aquinas is uh, keen to point out that uh, any human language we use towards God is always analogous, meaning that it, it gets us uh, close enough according to our human language, but it never fully captures exactly uh, God, and that is because we are finite, God is infinite, therefore how can our language accurately uh, capture uh, the full essence and nature of God? But so, we have to use what we have. Right, so... Basically, what you're saying is, if we were to have a human lord, uh, if we said, suppose we lived back in the Middle Ages and we were under a monarchy, um, our lord would be the king, and he would be a, a, a mere human being who has temporal authority over us. But with regard to God, you, you magnify that infinitely because we have no existence without God's creative and sustaining power. We are simply nothing without God. That is, that's yeah. correct. And that's, yeah. and that's very important distinction is between the temporal nature of, of a human Lord versus the divine nature of God as Lord. And the human nature of Lord too, even goes back not just to what we're accustomed to, maybe going to, you know, England and the Middle Ages and what have you. We're talking all the way back to the ancient world too. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the, the Greek translation, I'm pre preparing for the show, the catechism actually has a nice little write-up on, on each of these key points. And, uh, and the, the Hebrew word uh, for the tetragrammaton, uh, the I am, so that's uh, in brief the uh, story of people remember where Moses goes to the burning bush. He senses this mysterious presence far above and beyond him, and he wants to know who this is, and he is I am. 
or I am that I am. Yeah. So being itself. And, uh, but the, the name could never be fully captured in human language. So it was written down, which we interpret in the English language as YHWH uh, with no vowels, but yeah. out of because, because the Hebrew language didn't have vowels. That's correct. Okay. Uh, right. And, and then in the, let me just uh, take a quick peek at my notes. So in the Greek translation of that, um, as a uh, form of respect, uh, basically instead of the uh, tetragrammaton, the Greek word is kyrios, uh, which they used in the translation. So that would be the Greek translation in the Septuagint. And yeah. we translate that as Lord. So the Greek translation of the divine name given by God to Moses has sort of been transliterated to, to Lord or Kyrios. Yes. But, but isn't that a way to respect God uh, by not, I mean, there, uh, there has been a tradition since the beginning and still to this day that um, especially Orthodox Jews today will not use the divine name. Instead, they will sort of go around it and use the word Lord because it's too holy uh, to say. Right. It, there's a there's a tradition that if you if you speak somebody's name in that sense, at least in that moment, you have authority over them to some degree or another. You have some kind of power over them by by saying their name. And of course, we can't do that with God. So, so the ancient uh, Hebrews sort of sort of did an end around and used the word Lord rather than the divine name. Yes. Uh, well, that certainly rings true from what I remember. In fact, yeah. as you're describing that, it made me think of in the Garden of Eden before the fall, God gave authority of naming to Adam for the animals, the lower animals. And of course, in that case, it was the lower animals. It wasn't like Adam was given authority to name the angels or let right. alone God himself. So that you're saying that that did uh, that attests to the fact that there is some authority given by the person who names like when a parent names a child obviously yes okay. yes all right so then um the word lord is sometimes substituted for the divine name and it means basically when it comes to god you have ultimate authority over my entire being by virtue of creating me out of nothing um and i am here to, to submit and to do your will, Lord. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so, and so, of course, the Lord, that leads into the next one, which is Jesus. So we're saying yeah. that that one Lord, which we recognize in the Old Testament as just God, and of course, uh, later, I think the, the idea of Father uh, mm -hmm. comes out. Uh, because by the time Jesus is around, the concept of Father wasn't foreign. It wasn't like it seems so shocking that Jesus recognized yeah. God as Father, but rather to say our Father was a new thing. Yeah. Well, do you do you find it interesting that the creed speaks of the word Lord for the second person of God and the third person of God, but not the first? Uh, the Lord, the, the Lord and Giver of Life is the, is the Holy Spirit. One yeah. Lord Jesus Christ for for the second person of God. But but the creed doesn't use the word Lord for the first person of God. I, I'm sure there's probably not a not not any huge reason for that. But do you find it interesting? Uh, well, it is interesting, and I would say my my first immediate reaction to that would be that our interaction directly with God comes through the Holy Spirit and yeah. Jesus, and is through those means by which we can enter into uh, union with, with with the Father with with the Father. Yeah. I would also, I, I also think perhaps 
the fathers of the church were using the word Lord for the second and third person of God to just sort of emphasize that they are just as much God as the first person of God is who we have submission, who we must submit to. And that, that is actually a very astute observation, I think a very plausible one too, when you consider, for example, even when you look at scripture, uh, how by the time you got to John, so after the three synoptic gospels, which were counting many of the deeds of Jesus, uh, by the time you get to John, uh, John actually assumes a lot of these things because you already have this burgeoning Christian community that had been going on for presumably decades at that point. And so, for example, at the Last Supper, he doesn't even recount the, the consecration, this is my body, this is my blood, which were already communicated before. Instead, right. he fills in other details. Yes. Um, or like the Bread of Life discourse, which wasn't recounted on the others, he recounts that there, same with the wedding feast of Cana. Right. You've got, uh, for example, the washing of the feet in the Gospel of John. You don't have exactly. that in the, in the other Gospels. Yeah. Exactly. So when something is already um, held uh, as established, um, right. where it's not even in dispute, because that's where these creeds came right. about as a means of defense against heresy. Correct. Yeah. That's a good, very good point. The Lordship of the Father, as far yeah. as I could tell, was never in dispute. Right. Very, very good point. In fact, the Council of Nicaea was all about who is Jesus, you know. Right. He, she is truly divine. It was, it was against Arianism, uh, which, is, which is another show that we can talk about. But, uh, you know, God from God, life from light, true God from true. All of that came about by um, trying to clarify the dispute in, 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 in um, you know, saying that the second person of God is just as much God. Jesus is just as much God as the first person and the third person. But, so... So just like the father, Jesus, who became incarnate, which we'll get, we'll get to in another show, is our Lord. He lords over us and we submit to him. And, and you can say it in this way. We submit to the father through him. Um, let's get to that second word then, Lord Jesus. What does the word, let's, let's start with the meaning of the word. What do, and we find this in the Gospel of Luke particularly. What does mm -hmm. the word Jesus mean? Oh, uh, well, uh, Jesus is he who saves. Uh, yeah, Savior? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, God, God, God saves, saves actually is, is how the yep. catechism, uh, uh, and that's the name given by the angel Gabriel. So Gabriel, of course, not the one who originates it, but rather is the messenger uh, of God to Mary yeah. uh, and this. saying this is the name. So the word Yeshua, which which how it's pronounced in, in Hebrew, uh, you can you can you can almost hear how it's similar to Yahweh Yeshua, and it basically means God saves or Yahweh saves. Right. It's yeah. it's it's basically a, a, a for thinking two thousand years ago a more uh, mm. contemporary variation of Joshua. Yeah, which which is translated it's literated into English as Joshua, but um, so the word Jesus has everything to do with Savior. That's you know he. Right. Back in the ancient days, uh, ancient times, of course, you don't name a person just because it's a pretty word. There's meaning behind names. And particularly here, you can see it's, it's rather obvious that the angel told uh, Mary and then Joseph in a dream to, to name the child Jesus because, it, this is the exact wordage of the Gospel of Luke, uh, excuse me, Matthew, in, with, with regard to Joseph, because he will save their people from their sins. Is save, mm -hmm. he, he will save his people from their sins, i.e. Savior. So it makes sense that he would be named Jesus. Yes, and, and that actually ties back to the Lordship, too. Uh, I thought there was a nice little uh, passage uh, in the Catechism 
where they actually talked about the ways in which Jesus demonstrates that lordship. And I thought there are important uh, points too. There's uh, actually one I, I think I added, uh, but there first is dominion over nature. Uh, okay. So we see that in his power. He, um, so he heals people. He calms the storm. There's a multiplication of food and the fish and loaves. There's twice that happened. Mm. He has the power to forgive sins. Only God, of course, can do that. And that goes to the point of uh, Jesus, uh, where the name God saves, reveals both his identity and what he came to do. And, and ultimately, and, and that how, is... And how do you save? You, what, is in, in, what is in the way between us and salvation? It's our sins. That's right. So, the so wages of to... sin is death. Yeah. So there's the physical healings, of course, are a precursor to, the, uh, to the, the healing of the soul. And perhaps the, of all the healings, the one that maybe best demonstrates that, and of course a lot of them do, but I, I think the paralytic where uh, he's lowered uh, through by his uh, four faithful friends, who uh, are essentially intercessors for him because yeah. he can't get to Jesus on his own. Yes. They bring him before Jesus and without even uttering a single word, Jesus forgives him his sins because why? Jesus is God and he knows the innermost uh, murmurings of our own heart. He yeah. knows that the man is, is sorrow for, has sorrow for his sins, the paralytic, and yeah. he forgives his sins first. And then for the sake of those around him, that they ought to that they ought to believe so that they can see he then rise up and walk and then of course he does um and he is physically healed so there in that instance we see both dominion over uh nature and the power to forgive sins very interesting dominion over the physical and dominion over the spiritual yes and, and this and, is how and this is what his word is his name means savior and 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 by it, he shows his lordship yes. over these things. And the dominion over the spiritual is a good lean into the next one, which is power over demons. Because demons are of a spiritual nature yeah. who, who basically invade in the material world. Right. Uh, so, for example, there's the one where the man who is possessed by a legion of demons, Jesus drives them out into a herd of swine who basically run headlong over a cliff. Mm. Uh, and that's uh, somewhat of a dramatic one. But the point being is that Jesus has dominion over angels who of their nature are actually higher than humans. Yes. So we, went, we actually went over that last show. Right, right. Yeah. And we, right. But just to, and to, to reiterate on the point, has dominion over demons. Uh, another, of course, is, and this goes with the dominion over nature um, and the spiritual, is, is power over death. So, of course, he gives precursors that. There is the raising of the dead of Lazarus, which, of course, was the mass reading today. Uh, there was Dry's daughter, uh, but those are just precursors because ultimately they would end up dying again. Uh, so there's more like right. a resuscitation, uh, to use a term that I've uh, heard you use before, which I think yeah. is accurate yeah. uh, in this case. But then what? there's the real one. This is yeah. resurrection of his own power from a real death. So, so you're making a distinction here between resurrection and resuscitation. Yes. Whereas resurrection happens, well, it already happened with Jesus, but it happens to the rest of humanity on the last day when he comes back again and after the general judgment. Yes. Uh, or, or before the general judgments, um, where bodies no, will not only be brought back to life and, and reassembled, but glorified uh, and beautified to a point where, you know, it goes way beyond our understanding and imagination. Where, whereas with, with Lazarus and those... Who, 
whom Jesus healed and, and, and rose from the dead uh, in the Gospels, they just came back to life in their normal human temporal state. Correct. And that was more resuscitation. Yes. Okay. And but, it, but, it, but you're saying it was a sign of what is to come in the resurrection. That's correct. In the way that the transfiguration was a precursor yeah. to the resurrection of Christ. And then the, the fifth one, this is the one that, that I think I added, uh, which I think is an important one, is that Jesus demonstrates his lordship through intellectual discourse. And of course, one of the key ones where he does this, he does it in many places, uh, but is actually with his conversation with Pilate. You know, Pilate saying, do you hmm. not understand that I have the power to, you know, set you free, etc." Hmm. And of course, Jesus confirms his kingdom is not of this world. That is that is one of my favorite lines of all the, the entire New Testament. Yeah, my, my kingdom is not of this world. I came to testify to the truth. Yeah, <laughs> I came for one reason only to testify to the truth. Um, so if his kingdom is not of of this world, I mean, right. it's in this world, but it's not of this world. It kind of reminds you of what Christians are supposed to do. They're supposed to live in the world, but they're not supposed to be of the world. Yes, yes, and there are other there are other. Um, uh, too not just talking about his kingdom but also the uh john of course is very good he um there's at least uh, nine different key distinct uh instances where he uses the i am in reference to jesus as as a uh, an allusion to or not an illusion but really a, a direct connection to jesus as the being one with god he is god and some of them are more direct than others. Uh, one of the best ones I like because it it has this mysterious power to it is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hmm. Um, when they come to take Jesus right before he goes uh, for, uh, for his passion, yeah. and they ask, are, are you Jesus? And when he says, I am, they all fall down. They all fall down, yeah. They all fall down like there's this yeah. mysterious power that was uttered by him saying this word. Yeah, just to clarify in case in case uh, people missed what you said, a very important point. The Gospel of John, which is which is a uh, a gospel full of mystery and, and beauty, um, there are several. Some people say seven, others say nine. Uh, how, what do you got? How many? How many I am saying so, are there? Uh, so there. Well, there is uh, there is seven as far I thought as there was seven seven but then some of those are repeated in the similar okay. passage uh, so, but then there's two more that talk about him as the um i am so for example the one where it says jesus says to them truly truly i say to you before abraham was i am, I am. and that's right. in uh, john eight fifty eight. All right. Uh, for those who are keeping track. So Bible scholars uh, over the centuries and through through sacred tradition have, have come to understand that these I am sayings of Jesus, when he says this, he is actually referring to himself as being one with the Father. Yes, yes. The Father and I are one. Uh, John, the Gospel of John is very uh, clear on that point. Yes, yes. The, okay. the, he's one, which means he is not a creature. Yeah. He is God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I look forward to the next show when we talk about how he is eternally begotten of the Father and so forth. But but for this show, we'll just, just focus on those three words, one Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. So we have uh, we, we have we believe in one Lord uh, who is you know the whole Trinity, Jesus, who is the savior, the mm -hmm. second person of the Trinity. Um, and do you want to do you want to go with Christ now, or do, are uh, we... well, just one more point yep. that's I think an important one on the name of Jesus itself, because of who He is, 
That is the name above all other names now because of who he is and what he did for us. And so there is, there is a reverence to that um, that I think we, we ought to have. And the catechism was very good at uh, pointing out some good examples of this. For example, uh, liturgical prayers conclude with, through our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and the Hail Mary reaches its high point is, blesses the fruit of uh, womb, Jesus. That's the high point of the Hail Mary. And in the Eastern prayer, they have the, the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And of course, many saints, um, uh, like St. Joan of Arc, for example, when they die, uh, they have such reverence for Jesus, whom they ultimately have as their goal to be in union with. They utter but one word, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of saints just pray that one word and meditate on it over and over again. Mm. Um, you know, there's a, a, a tradition with a small tree, a T in the church that goes way yeah. back that at the name of Jesus, you bow your head. Yes. And, and of course, scripture, um, New Testament, St. Paul says, you know, at, at, the, every, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bend, every tongue confess to the mm. glory of the Father. So, so Jesus, in a sense, is the word that the Father speaks um, and the word uh, made flesh. Yes, yes. And now we're on, of course, to Christ. Yeah, one Lord Jesus Christ. What does the yes. word Christ mean? Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew term Messiah. So Christ and Messiah, the terms are one and the same. Um, and that translated to English means anointed. So literally, it, uh, he is Jesus the Christ. You know, a lot of people sort of just use that as a last name. Um, and, and I suppose that, you know, last names evolve and so forth, but, but he is Jesus, the Messiah or Jesus, the Christ Christos from Messiah, uh, transliterated into the Greek, uh, means basically the same thing. So why don't you, why don't you tell us what, um, basically what the, the notion of Messiah meant so we can understand sure. what, what Christ means. Sure. So in, in, at least in the temper order, there came to be a tradition with a small T. Um, I, I don't think it was really found much in the Old Testament's uh, official canon of scriptures, but there is a tradition with the small t that the Messiah would be a political and or military leader that would lead Israel out of their doldrums and being an oppressed nation to the glory that God had promised them. Um, but there was more of this temporal feeling about it, uh, that it wasn't the kingdom, as we mentioned, that uh, conversation with Jesus and Pilate about the kingdom being not of this world. It wasn't that at all. It was a temporal one. Yeah, well, you know, there are, you know, traditions that say that uh, the Jews back in those times were actually, there were some Jews, uh, they were waiting for kind of two messiahs. And even some believed that he was going to be the same person. But most people thought, uh, some people thought that there were going to be two messiahs that came. One that fit the suffering servant mode of, of Isaiah and others that fit the, the kingly mode that, uh, you know, he was going to be the, the, the son of David, who was going to come and restore the kingdom to its, its former glory. And you have these two kinds of very different, at least on the surface, very different kinds of messiahs that the Jewish people were expecting at that time. Interestingly, when Jesus was born, he, he fulfilled both of those expectations that were hidden in scripture uh, as both the suffering servant, because he suffered for our sins and he died so that we may live forever. And of course, he is our Lord and King, he's the King of the universe, uh, 
that sits at the right hand of the father. Yeah, and, and those are two of the three characteristics that are ultimately associated with it. So the kingship, which you mentioned, um, the, the suffering has to do with the priesthood of Christ. Yes. And then the third is prophet. Yeah. So he's priest, prophet, and king. And of course, when, when those are, who are baptized and they have an infusion of sanctifying grace uh, through that baptism and, and are uh, allowed to, at that point, enter into the kingdom, of course, a lot can happen along the way to the forum, so to speak. But uh, we too, in a, by virtue of baptism, participate in the mystical body in that priest, prophet, and kingship of Christ. Yeah, and of course, the Old Testament was filled with priests, with prophets, and with kings. And, yes. And when Jesus came, he, and this is what it means by he came to fulfill, not to abolish, but to fulfill the Old Covenant, all of that was, was, was sort of fulfilled in the one person of Christ. No longer do you need uh, the Moseses, the Elijahs, even though they're good, you know, they're, they're wonderful to read, but they are pointers to yes. this, this fulfillment. Of course, the transfiguration, that's what that symbolizes perfectly, that, that when Moses and Elijah disappear off Mount Tabor and Christ is left, he is the fulfillment of all that came before him and all that we need to be saved from our sins. That's right. That's right. The law and the prophets. And of course, Moses, Moses was uh, from the tribe of Levi, if I'm not mistaken as well. Was he not? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's priesthood as well too in there. His, but, his, his brother Aaron certainly Oh, was. sure. And yeah. even if you, even if you look at through uh, Holy Week too, which is where you see these uh, examples of priest, prophet, and king, coming through their fulfillment. There's this preaching uh, in Jerusalem during Holy Week, uh, the cleansing of the temple. And then of course there's the passion, death, and then ultimately the resurrection. So we have this prophecy going on, communication of truth from he who is truth. There is the passion, death. There is the priesthood in action. Christ yeah. laying down his life of his own accord to atone for a debt that we have that we can't pay on our own and him doing it for us. And then of course his kingship showing and that of his own power, he is God and he has dominion over the natural world. He has dominion over death and he yeah. conquers death for us. Yeah. And it's interesting that the Messiah was, it was prophesied that his kingdom would have no ends. And we, mm. we see, we see this in the prophecy of Daniel uh, of the you know the, the one like the son of man coming you know from the clouds and so forth that uh, his kingdom the the son of David the ancestor of King David because of course the royal line was was through blood was through bloodlines and and so it was prophesied that the Messiah would be the ancestor of King David and that's why uh, Matthew particularly but also Luke emphasized the fact that Joseph was in the line of King David and so was Mary by the way but but it was a patriarchal line and so when Jesus was born he fulfilled um, that's that kingly that lordship um, and uh, of uh, and, and of course the suffering servant uh, understanding of, of of the Messiah but he also was a lot more than that because uh, little did they know that kingship actually with you know the one who was going to be king and who was going to reign without end was going to be the incarnation of the second person of God himself and so all of that became more clear as Christ preached and as the church by the the help of the Holy Spirit through the following centuries after Christ rose from the dead by the by the power of the Holy Spirit was able to discern these things
Amen. <laughs> One Lord Jesus Christ. Anything else about the word Christ? Uh, it's, it's a very powerful word. It, it is. Uh, it is. Uh, I just, one is, um, if you're in the habit of using it casually, uh, just don't stop. Yeah. And if you're having trouble stopping, um, I remember uh, Jesse Romero, uh, yeah. who, uh, who's a uh, somewhat popular uh, a lay evangelist, and he tells a story of how he had a habit of misusing the name of our Lord, mm -hmm. and he was actually given a penance to memorize the litany of the holy name of Jesus. And so he's like, what is this? And so he had to basically memorize it. So uh, I would just say if someone is in the habit of misusing the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, memorize the litany, and if mm -hmm. ever you find yourself uh, saying it casually, um, pray instead the litany and to yeah. recognize that this is our Lord and Savior. It's a very, very powerful name. I, I, I remember a talk by Peter Kreeft, the great Dr. Peter Kreeft, and uh, he opened up his talk something like, saying something like, there are two things that make you either feel uncomfortable or you want to, you know, bow down before it. And that's... Um, the name of Jesus. Um, no, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> My memory is a little messed up. He said something like, can I say something embarrassing? And then he said, then he talked about the word Jesus and how it either makes you very uncomfortable, if, of course, if you're hiding from him, mm -hmm. or it, make, it makes you want to kneel down uh, because you love him. And it, it, there really is no in-between with Jesus. And you, and you see that with society, don't oh, you? sure. We see that, it in Scripture, too. Well, we see it in Scripture. It's played out in Scripture. But in our society today, we can, we can easily see it that, you know, the name of Jesus either makes people very uncomfortable. All of a sudden, there's a total silence with those who are uncomfortable. Or it makes you want to kneel down and, and worship. Uh, and, of course, those are the ones who are open to God and, and the fullness of the truth. So... It definitely is a powerful name in and of itself. Absolutely. Any last word, Mr. John oh, Tudorus? I, I, I think I think we covered a lot uh, just for just a few short words. Uh, we did mm. uh, some decent unpacking. I'm sure if we really wanted to go into it, we could do a whole lot more. But um, this, I think, is uh, enough for this one. Amen to that. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Episode number five in the in the books. Thank you, John Tudorus. It was. Uh, a, a good and a fruitful conversation. Absolutely. All right. You have been listening to Beneath the Surface. I'm Paul Morano for my guest, John Tudoris. Have a great day, everybody, and um, hope to um, hope that you listen again our next installments of Beneath the Surface, focusing on the creed. God bless. <laughs>